thanks for those songs, Paul and uh, musicians. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1. Well, got to build my first fire today in my house, so good day for that today in the cold weather. I hope you guys had a good afternoon uh, uh, with the church, or with your family, whatever it was, we had a good time. And uh, it's actually my, one of my daughter's birthdays today too, so all kind of fun today. Um, uh, so uh, let's look at the text together. Um, Colossians chapter 1, we're going to try to make it through uh, verse 14 in the, the time we have together. Um, so this morning we saw that Colossians, he's making this argument. He's, uh, he's writing for a particular purpose. And there seems to be some kind of erroneous doctrine being proclaimed. Uh, there's some kind of false teaching that uh, many different, probably many different kinds of false teaching, because Colossae was a very diverse, uh, culturally, was a very diverse uh, city, and because of its location, and uh, even kind of a dying city, uh, a city that's headed south a little bit, and but very diverse and lots of different kinds of teaching going on there. We don't know exactly what the false teaching in particular was, but I believe Paul goes on the offense. I believe instead of saying, here's what the issue is in particular, a couple times he mentions a couple of particulars, but um, in this particular, instead of saying this Here's my rebuttal to that. He says something different. And he pushes us to have a high view of Christ. As if a high Christology, a high view of Christ, is all we need. Um, Or is at least the most important thing that we need. And so, we saw uh, that in chapter 1, he presents this great... uh, Many commentators call it a song or a hymn in verse 15 through 20 of chapter 1. It's presenting this high view of Christ. And uh, that's what we need. We need to have this high view of Christ. So, but he starts out, he starts out in this greeting, a pretty normal, typical greeting from the Apostle Paul. Uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints, faithful brothers in, in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and does not have the, and uh, from Jesus Christ our Lord, doesn't have that part in there. And you would think with the high Christology that that would be in there. And I, I think the only translations I saw that have uh, that, uh, that textual variant in there would be the King James Version, the New King James Version, um, but uh, he's trying to say something else. We need to have a high view. We need to start with a high view of God the Father. So, do we have a high view of God the Father? Do we, like Paul does, always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? A high view of Christ starts with a high view of who God is. From whom Christ came. So, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So, we talked about those three things this morning. Faith, 
love, hope. Are these in our lives? Do we believe these things? Do we have a faith in Christ Jesus? A belief that causes us to live for Jesus. Our faith is in Christ Jesus. Do we have a love for the brothers? A love for the saints? A love for those people in this room? For all the saints? We express this love and unity at the time of communion. Do we believe it? Is it true of us? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. We really do have hope. It's true. We have a hope laid up. It's already done. It's laid up. It's accomplished. It's, it's, restored. it's stored up for us in heaven. It's accomplished and also will be accomplished in heaven. Now, Paul keeps going. He keeps going and... Um, uh, Paul and Timothy here are thanking God for the sincere hope that they've heard of their faith, the, the sincere, um, uh, the sincere belief that they have in Christ, the sincere love that they have for all the saints, the the true hope because of the true hope that they have in heaven. Um, and now, look where he heads. Of this, so verse five, uh, part B there. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Paul's reminding the Colossians that this hope that is laid up for them is the truth. It is true. It's the truth that they have received. It's the gospel. The truth is the gospel. This gospel is true. This good news that we have, that we believe in, that we go hard after, is true. It's true. We don't need anything additional onto that. This is it. We have the truth, this gospel message. The false teaching that they could be tempted to follow and go after, it does not offer this kind of hope. It's not good news at all. They have the truth. There's no need to go anywhere else. That's what he's saying there. You have the truth. It is the word of truth, the gospel. This message of truth, the gospel. Which, verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So he's saying the gospel, the gospel, the belief in the gospel, the truth of the gospel is having two kinds of effects. That's two effects. One, it's transforming the people there, the Colossian people, and The second thing, it's transforming people all over the world. He's using these two things, these two truths, to be an encouragement to them. So look at the first one. Um, He transforms people in the entire world, all over the world. Why would that be an encouragement? You think about that? Why, Why would that be an encouragement? He says, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, It is bearing fruit and increasing. Why is that an encouragement? Did you you know this gospel is having an effect all over the world today? Right now? Did you know it's happening everywhere? All over the world? In China, in Cameroon, in England, in Germany, in Brazil... 
all over the place, the gospel is being proclaimed and it is having an effect. Now, yes, there are unreached people groups that at not yet, the gospel is not yet moving there. And our hearts are drawn to them. Where people are being born, living full lives without ever having a chance to hear about Jesus. And we, we, we want to go after them. But at the same time, in many different parts of the world, the gospel is advancing. It is moving forward. It's heading towards these unreached people. We know that because from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people will be worshiping our great God. Do we believe that? It's happening everywhere. That's one reason we have a mission spotlight every, every week, isn't it? So we're reminded the gospel is moving. So we send people all over the world so that the gospel will continue to move. It's happening everywhere, all over the place. Now, what he's saying is that we're not alone in this. We're not alone. The gospel really is advancing, so don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. Don't lose don't, don't lose faith in the gospel actually working amongst us here and amongst those in our neighborhoods. Don't give up. There, just because it might seem like it isn't making headway where we are sometimes, be reminded that Christ's work is a global work. We might be tempted to think, you know, his word just keeps returning void. I proclaim this gospel I try to live out this gospel to my coworkers constantly. Maybe that's what we're thinking. Maybe we're thinking I try to live out this gospel and proclaim this gospel to my neighbors, my family members. I'm trying to live this out and, and show them this gospel and proclaim to them this gospel. And sometimes we feel like maybe even in our culture, yeah, we're not making headway. The gospel's not making headway. And he says, it's transforming people. It's transforming people all over the world. It's bearing fruit and increasing. Christ's work is a global work. So, first thing is, it transformed people in the whole world, but also it's trans- it's, it has transformed the people at Colossae. How does that encourage us? How, does that, how is that an encouragement to them? It has been changing them constantly since the day they had heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Verse 6. Since the day you had understood the, God, the grace of God in truth, it is bearing fruit and increasing. Um, how is that encouraging? Well, do you remember how the gospel has changed your life? Do you remember that? Do you remember how the gospel's changed? Do you remember how when you decided to place your faith in Christ that your life was changed? You remember how your, rad- your life has been radically changed even since then? Does this bring joy to your heart and encouragement? Um, I don't consider my conversion experience a, um, uh, you know, a radical story. You know, it is radical in every believer's heart and life to take a, a rebel on the run away from God and turn his heart towards him. Uh, you know, I don't ever remember not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I don't remember not believing in God. My parents faithfully taught me the truth of the gospel from a young age. And I remember not believing, but I do remember God changing my life in different points uh, throughout 
my life and having an effect on me. Um, so I, you know, I, I prayed a prayer, decided to follow Jesus when I was seven years old. And, uh, when I was in seventh grade, some really great things happened in my life. And I, uh, I at least took a huge step forward spiritually. And I see, I look back and I see God's hand. I read an introduction to one of uh, a Bible that said, it said this phrase up. I won't forget. It's, um, uh, in retrospect, sometimes we better see the hand of God. We see the hand of God more clearly in retrospect. We see, we look back and we say, yeah, God's hand is really in this. Sometimes in the moment, you know, like, is this going to be part of my testimony when I grow up or something like that? Is this, is this something I'm going to share with people? That I, I don't know. But then you look back and you're like, wow, I can see how that, that moment, that moment in time really changed my life. And I look to a few different points in, I was in middle school and high school even in college and, and uh, since then, where God has just radically changed certain aspects of my life. The gospel is still at work in our lives. Sometimes we think of the gospel in terms of justification when we, when the gospel only, maybe we think the gospel, yeah, it has an effect when we decide to become a follower of Jesus. Okay? We decide, and we're radically changed at that point. We think, yeah, that's, that's great. We're, we're changed at that point. The gospel had a significant effect in my life when I decided to follow Jesus at that moment. Yes. Sometimes we think in the future as well. We, so, we, so we think in the past, the gospel had an effect on my life. And in the future, the gospel will affect, have a serious effect on my life when I am glorified. So we think of justification, we think of glorification, when we're declared righteous and when we will be made totally righteous before Christ. We'll be in him with, in, in him, with him in heaven. But what about now? Do we believe that the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the things that we believe about the gospel have an effect right now? That it is the truths of the gospel, this truth message, this true message affects us today in our sanctification process. Justification and sanctification becoming more holy and then glorification. We will be glorified with Christ. It has an effect now. And he's saying it's bearing fruit and increasing. And as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So bring joy to our hearts when we look back and we see the hand of God. Well, he's still working like this. He's continuing to work. Christ is still changing people. He's still changing me. He's still changing you. The gospel is still at work in our lives. And in the lives of those people around us in this room. Also, it's encouraging when you get to see the gospel change other people's lives. You see that? You see how Paul is encouraged here? He's thanking God because he sees the gospel work in their lives. Um, it's, amazing, it's an amazing act of God when you get to watch it happen in someone's life. Experienced that before? When you see God change someone's life and you're just in awe. Um, that, that's, that's what happened to me in seventh grade. Um, my, I have an older brother, he's a year older than me, and his life was radically changed when he was in eighth grade, summer of his eighth grade year. And seeing God change his life changed my life. Seeing God reach into his life and change him, save him, changed my life. Like, man, this God's real. 
He really is working. The gospel really does have an effect on people. James's life changed. My life changed. All the work of God. So notice, this gospel change here in the text was a public fruit, as Piper calls it, a public fruit. Paul and Timothy have heard of it. We saw that in verse 4, and we will see that in verse 9 again. Paul and Timothy have heard of it. Uh, the faith, the love, the hope, it's not a secret affair. People see it and recognize it. Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men, so that they may see your good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Matthew 5.16. Do we ever think like this? Do we think like this? When our lives are changed, it's not just our life that is changed. When we do good to others, it could be encouraging to even another person. That person is helped, but it also has an effect on those around that may have seen it or heard it. And that's not the ultimate reason why we do that, but it is an effect of the work of the gospel. And we see that played out here in Colossians. Now look with me at verse 7. Paul switches here from the message of why he's thanking God to a messenger. And this is really cool because it's, it's one of those things where, um, I was reading another commentary on Philippians actually, and he said this about a passage like this. He said, this is the kind of thing, this is the stuff that letters are made of right here. You start naming people and talking about people and seeing how Paul talks about people. Look here. Just as you learned, verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is, a, this is really great stuff here. I, I love seeing how the Apostle Paul describes people. You ever, see, ever look for that kind of thing? Especially in Philippians, he describes a few different people there. How does the Apostle Paul describe you? It's like we're looking over his shoulder like... How do you, what kind of things do you look for? What kind of great things do you look for in people? And you know what he says? Look what he says about them. We're getting this inside, behind this inside scoop, kind of behind the scenes, about this guy, Epaphras. And he's saying he's a b- beloved fellow slave. A slave of Christ. And he's a faithful servant. He's a slave and servants. Um, implicitly, he's a slave of Christ and a servant of people. Beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So you have a slave there, um, Greek term doulos there, and you have a faithful servant, it's the great Greek term, sometimes translated deacon, servant. How would you like to be complimented like that? Wait, is that really a compliment? You're, you're a slave. You're a servant. Aren't those like the lowliest places to be? What are you calling me? I'm a slave? I'm a servant? Well, depends on who you are a slave of. Right? Are we a slave of Christ? Are we a servant, a faithful minister of Christ on behalf of people? 
Who are we a slave of? Who are we a servant of? So um, I think I may have even mentioned it this morning. We're, we may be in a, a slave-master kind of relationship with our great God. And that's a good thing. We get to be slave. Like we, we see Paul, sometimes he introduces, a, 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 greets people in letters and says, I'm a slave of Christ. Really? That's a, that's a good thing? We're a slave of Christ? Absolutely. We get to be a slave of Christ. Why is that good? A number of reasons. Well, one, because he's a good and great master. Um, he knows what he's doing. And we want to follow him. Uh, you know, it's like being involved in a game and you don't know any of the rules. And you're like, this guy knows all the rules. Let's go after, let's follow him. He knows what he's doing. It's like, we want to follow Christ because, like I said this morning, like from uh, Matt Chandler, he created this thing. He knows how it works. Let's follow him. Let's be his slave. Let's be a servant of Christ for the sake of other people. So, are we characterized that way? We're ready to be, we strive to be characterized like that. A slave of Christ. Servant. Faithful servant of Christ. Now, he goes here. uh, If you look, compare verses 3 and 4 and verse 9, there's some similarities there. Um, He says, look at... uh, Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith. Now look at verse 9. And from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. See how he's, he's kind of picking back up. Now, so he, he moves from expressing his thankfulness to God in his prayer here, showing how he prays and thanks God for these things, to praying specifically, um, or telling the Colossians how he's praying for them specifically. Um, So, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, Matt Campbell wrote a devotional on Colossians, and uh, he, he asks these questions at this point. What's his prayer? what's the result? What's his prayer? What's the result? What's his prayer? Well, his prayer that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. A lot, a lot of filling of the mind kind of language. What's the result? These are pretty great results. That they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Uh, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So if you want to walk worthy, if you want to walk worthy, if you want to be pleasing to Christ, if you want to bear fruit in every good work and increase in knowledge, what do we need to do? Be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice these things are from God. It's his will, knowledge of his will. It's the wisdom from the spirit. So if you fill your minds with these things, we we pray that the Lord will fill our minds with these things. We pray that the Lord will fill other people's minds with these things, like Paul is doing. Here, Paul is showing us how we are to pray for each other. How we ought to pray for each other. How we should pray for those we love. Verse 4. Love all the saints. Verse 4. 10. 
So, um, this is one thing that's really great. We get to kind of look in and see how the Apostle Paul prays. That's one really helpful thing. We do this thing in the youth group, youth group we call it a prayer journey, where we get to pray with each other. We take a Wednesday night, and we do it once or twice a semester, where we go and pray with each other. And, uh, you know, we pray one-on-one with each other, and then we all rotate. And so we're praying one-on-one with somebody else. So usually the first person we pray with is somebody that we really know really well. Then we rotate. We're like, I don't know you, but we're going to pray together. And then we rotate again, and we keep rotating. And we're writing down prayer requests, requests for each other and praying for each other. And I, I always bring them back and say, what, what's the benefit of that? What's the benefit of that? And one of the things that comes out is we get to hear how people pray. And that helps me pray. It helps me know how to pray. Um, so one, one of the benefits of, of praying with each other, being uh, on our knees together, is getting to hear, you know, I've been praying for this situation, but I haven't been praying that way. I need to pray that way. So here we are looking over the Apostle Paul's shoulder, and we're seeing how he prays for the people that he loves. He's seeing how the Apostle Paul is praying for people. Are, are we praying this way for people? We pray in this way for the people that we love and care for. Um, also, notice here that this is kind of cyclical. You pray for knowledge of his will, verse 9. And when you receive it, that receive that knowledge, you will bear good fruit, and you will also increase in knowledge, which you bear good fruit. If you have more knowledge, and then you'll get more knowledge again, and then bear good fruit. And see how it, there's a hint of it being kind of cyclical there where we keep growing and growing. We keep praying and praying for this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Um, so, Paul here is calling, is, is saying, this is how I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you in this way. You'll be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, and so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge. Really? Like, we can do that? If we, if we were praying that way, if people were praying for us, then we, we could do that? We could bear fruit in every good work? Are you serious? Well, yeah, kind of. Because it's really a work of God. Look at verse 11. Paul is reminding us of what God can do. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Wow. So Paul is reminded of what, what God can do. God will give us strength. God gives, one commentator, Doug Moose, says this, God gives what he demands. Okay, what, well, what's the extent of this empowerment? Well, he says, may you be strengthened with all power. It's unlimited power, according to his glorious might. Now, if you were saying, according to Paul Campbell's glorious might, that would be really sad. But we're talking about the creator of all things. God himself, according to his glorious might. Strengthened with the greatest kind of strength imaginable. For what? For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to who? The Father. 
That's his work, Father. Look what the Father and the Son have done for us. Look what the Father and the Son have done for us. The Father, he's, he's the one that strengthens us, empowers us, and keep going here in verse uh, 12. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So, again, Matt Campbell, I, I keep going to this Matt Campbell um, uh, devotional because we've used this devotional a few times in youth ministry and mission trips and used that at a camp in Colorado this past summer. And it's really helpful. So my mind always goes to these kinds of things. And, and uh, Matt Campbell has done a great job studying through Colossians. It's been a huge help to me in thinking through this. He asked these questions. What does the Father do? What does the Son do? Father delivered us, transferred us. Now, what does that say about us before Christ? Before we received Christ, what does that say about us? Delivered us from the domain of darkness. Transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. What's that saying about our pre-Christ life? Darkness. We needed to get out of there. He's delivered us. He saved us from the domain of darkness. Now we're part of the kingdom of His beloved Son. Son in whom we have redemption. Redemption and forgiveness from the Son. The forgiveness of sins. What, what does this tell you about your new life? After, now, after you have received Christ. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is based on His faithfulness. 1 John 1, nine. It's based on His faithfulness and His justice to cleanse us from all sin. So, a few points of application. Um, Uh, as we think back on the things we just talked about, look to be saint. Number one, look to be sanctified because you love God and because you love neighbor. Two grace commands. Look to be sanctified, to be changed, to be radically changed, to be sanctified because we love God, but also because we love neighbor. So ask God to change you. Ask Him to cause you to grow spiritually, but not just because you love God and, and want to honor them, but definitely that, because we, want to love, because we love God and want to honor Him, but also because we love our neighbor. And we want them to grow as well. Not, never about us looking great, but we want to help other people grow as well. You know, we're, we're, we're in a church. We're part of a body. And just as... Um, Thinking of that body imagery, our spiritual growth, our growth in the body, has an effect on the rest of the body. Um, Our growth affects the growth of the body, our individual growth. We're not on an island, we're part of a body. And when we grow, we encourage others to grow. When we're not growing, we're not encouraging other people to grow. So we ask God to change us. We want to be sanctified. We want the gospel to be working in our lives as it is working around the world. We want to work in our lives, but not just, not just for our sake, not a selfish kind of view, but because we want to honor God, we want to love God more, and love neighbor. It's because we love God and because we love neighbor. Number two, and we'll go through these quickly. Strive to be a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ. 
want to be characterized like that? A slave of Christ, a slave of righteousness. He is our master. Do we live like that? And what a great master we serve. We went over that this morning from verse 15 to 20, man. I just want to read that over and over again. Just get it in my mind, who Christ is. Meditate on that truth, chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. We want these truths to be in our minds because of who Christ is. A high Christology. Number three, be encouraged. God will give you the strength with the greatest strength imaginable. God will give you the strength. We think, man, we're in the struggle to do what's right. And we keep fighting and fighting and fighting. Trust God. He will give you the strength. And pray that we will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. Pray for that for your brothers and sisters which is number six. We're getting there. Number four, remember what Christ has done for you. Remember what Christ has done for you. He's taken us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He has redeemed us and forgiven us of our sins. Sometimes we're tempted to forget how serious our sins are. We forget what Christ has actually done for us. And we kind of just float along. Be reminded of what Christ has done for us. And this really strong language, striking language here in verses 13 and 14. Knowing where we've come from and who we are now. Number five, see Christ in his rightful place. This is where he's going. See Christ in his rightful place. Verses 15 through 20. Know who Christ, have a high view of Christ a high view of Christ. And lastly, pray as Paul prays. Thank God. Thank God when you see people's, uh, the gospel work in people's lives. Praise him. Thank God for that. Encourage that brother or sister when you see that in their life. That's exactly what Paul's doing right here. He's saying, I see this in your life. What would that be an encouragement if someone said to you, I, I see faith, love, hope in your life. I see this character quality, um, this spiritual uh, uh, attribute in your life. We do that for our brothers and sisters. Do we, do we think like that for each other? May we do that more. We'll be thinking in that kind of way. We praying in that, in that way, but also think through how Paul is praying throughout this, uh, these first 14 verses. And let's pray as Paul prays. Let's do that now. Dear God, we are so thankful for the way you work in people's lives. Thank you for um, taking your gospel and transforming people in this room. Thank you for transforming people in my life and me being able to see that. What a gift that is. To see my God at work in my brother. Lord, thank you that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing around the world. Lord, we ask you, keep moving. We, we ask you to, to move here in this church. We ask you to move in our neighborhood so that the gospel will have its effect positively in the lives of those we love and care about. Lord, 
Will, will you fill us with the knowledge of your will? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you fill us with all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Because we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to you. Not to man. Pleasing you. And bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. And we're so thankful. Because we look at that we're intimidated. But you give us the strength to accomplish this. With all your power. We get it. For all endurance and patience. Give us joy in these things. So we're so thankful for the work you've done in our lives. You have given us an inheritance with the saints in light. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son. You have redeemed us and forgiven our sins. And for that, we rejoice. We just want to sing. We want to fall on our knees and pray. We want to give you honor and glory for the work that you've done in our lives. And we've seen you work in other people's lives as well. And so we ask you, will you keep doing that? Thankfully, we serve a kind, gracious, 